Tune in. Tone up. Your one-stop shop for guitar, tricks, tips, techniques and advice. With me, Gary Shilliday, and my own excellent teacher, Dan Davis. This episode of our podcast, Guitar Lesson 21, is an introduction to the style of Steve Lukather. It begins with a demonstration of Dan using some Steve Lukather ideas to improvise over a YouTube backing track. You can find the link to this backing track on our website or attached to the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. The episode starts with a discussion of Steve's playing, then Dan breaks down some of the ideas and techniques he used in his demo, and it ends in a jam in which both of us take turns to improvise over the track.
So Dan, I really uh, enjoyed our, when we looked at the style of Gary Moore before and would love to uh, look at the style of another great Steve Lukather if that's at all possible. Yeah, I imagine most guitarists have heard of Steve Lukather, he's very much a guitarist, guitarist, but it's, with him he's not a household name, but I can almost guarantee you without a shadow of a doubt, anyone out there listening in who goes, oh, he looks <laughs> they will have heard him. Yes. He has played on so many albums you would not believe, and quite a diversity of albums. Um, not only has he been guitar player in Toto um, since what's sort of the, the mid-70s onwards, but he's played with, well, do you know how many people he's played with, Gary? I have absolutely no idea. I've got to say, ignorant of the fact. <laughs> well... Let, let me shock you now. I know he's a session guitarist, so he must be a huge, huge amount. He played on Paul McCartney's solo stuff in the early yeah. 80s. I mean, this, and this is just what I know. There's loads of others. Lionel Richie, he did the amazing guitar solo on Running With The Night. Wow, yeah. Which is an awesome solo, and it's got Steve Lukather and his Mesa Boogie and EMGs written all over it. <laughs> He also played on Alice Cooper's Poison record. He played the solo on the record Poison from the Trash album. That's a great solo. It's awesome. <laughs> he also played on quite a bit of Don Henley's solo work as well. Played on that. Um, Desmond Child, who has been a producer for many large rock acts, including Bon Jovi back in the 80s, has also had a solo career. And he's, he's done sessions on Desmond Child's albums. He's one of those sort of guys who I think is booked for the certain sound that he produces. He even played rhythm guitar, relegated to rhythm guitar, on Michael Jackson's Beat It record. Another guy whose style is probably not a million miles away and falls into that kind of sound of the time was Dan Huff 
from Band Giant, and he's, he's a gang, he's an immense player, and he's now a, a producer. Have a listen to Giant's Stay. Okay. It's an incredible solo on it. It's very 80s, it's very hair metal. You've got to kind of think of the time. But the, the playing is beyond reproach. It's, it's just freaking awesome, basically. Right. Um, but St- Steve Lukather was a little bit different, because with Steve Lukather, he seemed to straddle different styles. And Toto were always a band. They were basically a band of session musicians. So you had David Patch, the keyboard player, and then you had all of the Porcaros. So you had Jeff Porcaro, who was the drummer, who who died back in the 90s. I think he had a heart attack or something. But he was an amazing drummer. He laid down the drums on Rosanna. His nickname was Mr. Feel, which sort of says it all. Again, he played many sessions with lots of different people. And there were quite a few other Porcaros lurking around, I think one of which was the bass player at one point. And then there was a keyboard player, another keyboard player, who was also a Paul Caro. So there was sort of this bunch of brothers in the band. Wow. Yeah, it's quite it's quite an interesting band. The, the only member they seem to regularly change was the vocalist. The funny thing with Toto is they never quite fitted into any one genre. I suppose it's one of those things that you get, I think, when you're a bit of a session sausage. I sort of find it too... One of the hardest things I've personally found with guitar playing is going, well, where do I fit into this massive scheme? I'm not a metaler. I don't have anything none more black and, and come out in a big black Mac. Air down to me, nads. That's not me. But at the same time, I'm not really a pop dude. So I've, I've always wondered, where, where do I fit in? And I'm not really a total jazzer either. And I think a lot of people who do lots of different styles probably face the same problem because they look at it and they go, who the hell am I? I, I know when I had discussions with Big Jim Sullivan and I was having lessons with him who's a session guitar player for years he said to me after 25 years of it he said I came away from it wondering who the hell I was and I think that's probably one of the most intriguing interesting and also kind of slightly frustrating things with a band like Toto and also to a degree with a guitar player like Steve Lukather who are you what are you all about He's got jazzy elements in his playing, but he's not really a jazzer. He's got bluesy elements in his playing, but he's not really a blues guy. He's got some very rocky elements in his playing, but he's not kind of rock, rock metal either. He's not as heavy as all of that. And so you end up with this this kind of funny middle ground that has a little bit of jazz and a little bit of country and a little bit of rock and some of it's kind of classic old school rock and some of it's a little bit more alternative. If you've ever listened to the solo album by Steve Lukather called Luke. It's an amazing album. He's done a few solo records. That and also Candyman is a must-listen. It's a fantastic album. But the music is just fantastic music. But you can't really pigeonhole it very easily. You know, there's some very bluesy things on there. Some of it's more like funky or or poppy. It's really hard to define. And that, I think, with Steve Lukather is, is, again, it's the thing that's kind of tough to define. Joe Satriani is a rock guitar player. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, even without his hair. Even without his hair. <laughs> He's even more bald than I am. And I remember Joe Satriani years ago in an interview saying, he said, I get missed for a lot of work because people think I'm this slightly strange jazz fusion guy. And he said, I'm not. He said, I'm a rock guitar player. Yeah. You know, and, and, and getting that across is quite tough. I mean, Joe Satriani as well actually has played with quite a few famous people. He was on Mick Jagger's first solo album. Did you know that? 
I might uh, somewhere yeah. in the grey matter. That he, sounds very familiar. He also he also played on several tracks on Alice Cooper's Hey Stupid album. It's him and Steve Vai played on Feed My Frankenstein, which is uh, just awesome. Dual guitars and all the rest of it. Steve Vai showed up to be taught by him, didn't, didn't he? He did. Yeah. And if you want a really great slice, I know we're talking about Steve Lucas, but if you want a really great slice of Joe Satriani, have a listen to Life on Mars. Life on Mars by Alice Cooper. Oh, uh, yeah. Fantastic solo. I mean, talking of Steve Lukather, Steve Lukather actually always wanted to be a bebop guitar player. Okay. So um, he is veering towards the jazz. Yeah, I was thinking later years he's got more jazzy. You know, he's always been pretty much a sort of scale choice wise and things like that. Fairly straight ish down the line. I did see a, a thing in a magazine in more recent years, and uh, this was to coincide with his album called Transition. And he was looking at the superlocry and stuff. So he was getting into much more jazzy elements. So what era to go for? This is this is tricky. If we turn the clock back to the 80s, a lot of people will accuse Steve Lukather of, of being all effects. Yeah. Because he used to put a hell of a lot of grease on his guitar. But he's always been a, a great player nonetheless. So maybe we should look at what I'm doing on this track. Yeah. So we've got this track of YouTube, Toto, Steve Lukather style backing track. It's a melodic jam track in the key of C. Alessandro Alessandroni. Okay, got it. So what we've got with this particular track is a very simple... So what we've got with this track is a very simple turnaround in the C, where it goes from C, A minor, G and F. Yeah. So it's actually like kind of like the Purple Rain turnaround in the key of C instead of B flat. So all of the C major stuff will fit very nicely over that. Now after that, he then goes from sort of C down to B flat, giving you a bluesier thing. Okay, so it changes key? Or kind of, well it's still in the key of C, but it right. changes into the bluesier side of C. Yeah. So like a C, B flat, F, C, I think. So what I do is to start with, well, I'm kind of targeting notes maybe in the chord. So over the key of the C, I might play a C, and I'm going to play some, some notes in the C chord. So C, D, up to E, C, E, G. So as the chords revolve around, I've got C. So that's a pull off from D to C on the G string, 7 to 5, bending arm. And an 8th fret on the B string. 8th fret pulls off to 5 on the B. C note, yeah. the D has been up to an E over the A minor, a G over the G, and then an A over the F. Gotcha. So basically we've got root fifth, root third of each chord. Root 
the fifth of the next chord. So the fifth is the bent up to E. Bring the G. So there's your fifth of A minor. G is the root of G. Okay. So I could target, you know, if you thought, if you're thinking in terms of chords, I always think in terms of chords, I know we've, we've had these discussions before, but when you're soloing, you, you know, it's kind of like tying yourself to the piece by at least playing a few chord tones or notes that appear in the chords. You kind of tie yourself to that chord. Yeah. And so it's very effective. So by doing it this way, we're, we're, kind of linking in with what's going on underneath. It doesn't mean that other notes wouldn't work, but these are assured. Now, you've got to bear in mind, if you're doing a studio session as well, maybe you'll be in the studio a few days, maybe it'll be a quick in-and-out session. Who knows? But, you know, the, one of the reasons session guitar players or session musicians are paid what they are is because they can deliver, and they can deliver quickly. Yeah. So being able to kind of break down the fact that, like, right, you've got this four-chord trick... And these are the notes which are quite possible to go over the top of it. So over the C, if we're just choosing notes in the chord, you can have C, G, and D. Yeah. If you're going over A minor, you can have A, E, and C. If you're going over G, you can have G, D, and B. If you're going over F, you can have F, A, and C. They're fairly obvious choices, and I appreciate that. They're not rocket science choices. Yeah. I understand that. But they're choices that nonetheless work. And it, work very well. It, it's quite difficult to hold it when the root's changing around. So, you know, every every chord that you're playing over is is different. It's, it's difficult to jump from one chord to the other mentally and then jump from the root note to the third or the fifth. I think a lot of people will find that quite difficult, myself included. Yeah. Um, you have to really sit down and think about it a bit beforehand. Although, I do. although I'm not a big fan of it. Yeah. I mean, because what people probably don't realise when they're listening to the podcast, so I'm going to put this out there now, we don't sit there for hours and hours before we record this thinking about what we're going to do. No, no, I don't, I don't have <laughs> I don't have eight months' worth of emails to and fro from Gary to myself. <laughs> what backing track should we do and spend months in the studio recording something that's perfect? We literally rock up. And decide on the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's That's amazing exactly, yeah. what we managed to get out of it, really. So this is as unrehearsed as it gets. You know, if you're a session guy walking into a session, this is what you got. Last time I did some session work a couple of years ago, so there ain't much about at the moment. I literally was booked by a vocalist to go and play guitar on a song. And when I arrived, hey man, the song wasn't even written. Because she didn't have the wherewithal to write it. So there was a drummer, and there was himself. And literally, she was totally unprepared, and she'd written some lyrics, and that was it. In the three-hour session, I had to get together with the drummer, write the song, write it out, record it, record bass on it, and then I put harmony vocals down the chorus for her so she had something to work with. Yeah, okay, I, that's I very... you end up with your name on that track uh, as well. <laughs> I mean, it was an incredibly unprofesh situation you know obviously you know I, I, pick, I picked up the, the work from Gumtree or something but when you're a musician work is work especially when you're strapped for cash but the funny thing was with that they're like you just didn't know what you're letting yourself in for and this is the thing I, I once went to an audition where 
the vocalist, the woman on the phone, was really quite savage. And she wouldn't shut up about how you've got to be able to read music. I turned up, and then I realised the keyboard player was playing the same part as me, because there was no guitar part written. I'd been given the piano music. So there I was, playing away, and I'm playing the pianist piece. And a couple of, a couple of notes... Like on the back of a so piece that of paper. So that be written again as well. You well, have you, just, your own you, have, you have to kind of figure it out for yourself. You know, with a session, you don't know what you're letting yourself in for. Mm. Hopefully in the professional world, you would hope it was, was better and better organised. I've never really asked about session work. Do you end up with uh, hourly pay or daily or is it I think some, I think you can... Goes it all? <laughs> all Usually, I believe it's the publishing house who's responsible for paying you. If you have added a solo or something like definite to a track like that, then you can get sort of royalties. royalties for that particular thing. You can get sort of paid just for the session, or you can get paid royalties when the track's performed. You know, for example, if you're going and doing a big session for a big band or artist, you're probably best going for royalties. Whereas if you're hmm. if you're you know, helping out the bloke from three doors down the road because he's written a track and he thinks it's really good. He's probably better off taking the money and running. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, that was a nice, nice line of a solo, wasn't it? That for this Steve Lukather with those, those right. choices. Indeed, those. I would want to be on the payroll for those. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So all I've done is I've added some a couple of bends there to get to the notes. But I could do it with any of the notes yeah. in which which follow the chords. So providing they're one of the three notes in the chord, you know, we could carry on. Ah, right. So it went into the second section there, so I'm just going to go from the top. And that's B flat then, is it? C, A. So we'll start with my first line, then I'm going to do another one. <laughs> it gets interesting so the first four chords are pretty obvious if you're writing a melody it doesn't mean that you have to stick with the notes in the chord but I mean we're, we're trying to project ourselves into the mind of a session sausage in a yeah, way yeah. so it's a good enough place to start okay you know if, you, if you're strapped for ideas you know root third and fifth not necessarily in that order of each of the underlying chords it's a good place to start. Okay. Any chord progression that's sort of revolving around like that, that could work quite nicely. You could use other notes without a shadow of a doubt. So, I mean, you you could use... Sevenths and... Yeah, I mean, if I was, if I was doing it, I'll use sort seconds of... Seconds and stuff. I'll use some more unusual notes. 
But you want to have a theme running for each chord, maybe? Uh, to, or, or, yeah, yeah, we sort of do prefer to each chord every time it's not rocket science yeah so I bent from the C up to the D overs yeah and then the B over the G which I guess is like like the third and then the A over the F I bent from the G to the A over the F and then bend from the F to the G over the F still. Uh, bend from the, sorry. The F, the F to the G over the F. Oh, yeah. So it's a little less obvious. playing the G um. does quite well is little flourishes yeah at the end of lines <laughs> things like that so Twanky piano intro. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's rather cheesy stars. plays exactly that line but you often hear him sort of get excited at the end of a melodic line <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and then put in something like that well okay. you could sort of pick anything you wanted you know you don't have to be even three notes on each string as long as it's in the key so there I use the G Play the 14 and the 12. 
sometimes does sort of sequence scales sort of going back the other way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Listen to Alice Cooper's Poison for that sort of thing. Yeah, that's okay. So that's 13-12 on B, 14-12 on the G. Start on the C, 13 to the B, and then we go four notes down and then a fret up in the scale to the D on the 15th of the B, and then four notes down and so on. So they sort of finish it off quite nicely. Um, here we go again. Sense. Yeah, I like that. So let's look at the bluesy thing. So going into the bluesy element, we've got this melodic thing going on, yeah. matched by a bluesy chorus, if you will, if you want to split it up into verse, chorus, and think of, of those sort of terms. So when we get to the bluesy, we could straight play straight pentatonic. Yeah. We could play Dorian. We could play Mixolydian blues. There's lots of things we can play. We can put in chromatic notes a little bit easier. <coughs> so, so A Dorian, did you say? C. C. So we're still C. Here, C. Yeah. You can either play them in a very sort of bluesy way, so where you're in the blues, sort of pentatonic box. <laughs> Bending there from the 15th fret of the B up to the 17th. And the little finger 
frame of 15 on the top of it. With somebody like Steve Lucas, though, you know, you don't get paid damn good money for nothing. Um, one thing that he is very, very good at is kind of bringing a more emotional element yeah. to the playing. I, I find the one thing that's really nice about Steve Lucas that's playing is he doesn't sound he doesn't sound mechanical. No. Yeah, he's got some very nice vibrato and things. Stuff like that, yeah. So you think of all the vibrato nice. tricks to let the bends down here. first and then it down. Bending a note is something like the first was a pre-bend or a ghost bend. You bend first yep. and then you let it down. Okay. And you could go, oh well what about doing it with a trem? Thing is the trem mode does sound different. Yes, yeah. You know, you can make a trem sound more natural, but a trem system does sound different. And also, it doesn't have quite the same ease of human touch. So when we bend normally, we pluck a note, we're in the key of C, like a blues here. Pentatonic, first box, first shape, eighth fret. You pluck a note, you bend it. A pre-bend, I think sometimes referred to as ghost bend, is where you bend first, so you don't hear the note ascend. You only hear it descend when you let it down or release yeah. it. Quite a Steve Lucas trait of playing, actually, that. The other thing, too, is you can mix them in with bends going up, bends going down. So you hear I've got bends being released. work there isn't there <laughs> it's the control factor yes you know usually don't want too much gain you don't want to make too much noise um, and you've got to make sure the notes are pinned nicely to the board and that you can get a nice silent sound getting the note bent up first so where it's nice and silent you're only hearing the release <laughs> Thank you. 
quite known for, he's the only guy I've seen do it, I'm sure others do, is he'll bend a note and then he'll put his little finger on the next fret yeah. to gain a, a note higher. So I'm bending down the 13th of the yeah. B, so I'm bending from a C note to a D, and then the little finger goes down on the 14th fret once a note is bent. Little finger... Yeah. Off. yeah so okay you get, you'll hear it at the end of the rosanna yeah absolutely actually, yeah so you you hear it on on there on that on that actual solo definitely yeah so going from the melodic to the bluesy yeah let's try a little bit of that i'll do a round if you like and then you can do a round I'll attempt to. Happy with that? Yep. Thank you. 
Track this one, isn't it? To say the least, it's very good. <laughs> well, like track. I think with with the Steve Lucas the kind of sound, yeah, and the, the, the kind of way he plays, it's not like Gary Moore where it's very aggressive. Yeah, but Gary Moore had a real aggressive edge to his playing. You know, sort of go for the jugular, and yeah. although he could play some really lovely, lovely melodic things, he kind of grabbed the guitar by the balls. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a different type of playing, isn't it? Completely. Joe Satriani all, almost seems to have like a... He, even when he's playing sort of faster, get-up-and-go stuff, it's quite relaxed. Mm. Like the gato and everything, it sort of lacks that real edge. Yeah. It's not that it's not brilliant playing, it really, really is. But it's a very different thing. Like when you hear Alan, Alan Holdsworth go for it, it's still so smooth. Yeah, it's almost like devoid of any bumps in the road. With Steve Lucas, it, it, it's like he's got not got quite the levels of aggression of someone like Gary Moore. His playing's ultimately a little bit bluesier in places, and a little jazzier, I would say. Yeah. So in terms of his note choices, he's quite intelligent with with his note choices. He yeah, he plays some quite quite interesting. They're quite sort of lines over a blues, you know. Kind of quite narrative almost. I feel a story in yeah. all three of those players. It's, it's funny, I, I bumped into my um, old guitar player, guitar teacher a couple of years ago in Tesco's and Brian was one of those people who was very uncompromising. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> Good guy, but uncompromising. But he said to me, he said, you've got to be able to tell a story. Yeah, he said you've got to be able to tell a story with your playing. You you've got to have something to say. Yeah, it's no good going out and spurting a bunch of notes. That's not having it. That's essentially like like turning up to a lecture and, and reading reading the students the Oxford Dictionary. Doesn't yeah. make any sense. And there's a lot of truth in that. You know, with Stephen Lucas, there's some very highly melodic bits to his playing, and every solo, however, on the spur of the moment, he says it is when it was recorded, at the end of the day, they all sound pretty damn good or they wouldn't be committed to tape. I mean, rumour has it, correct me if I'm wrong, that back in the early 80s when they were recording the Toto 4 album, the massive album that got the Grammy Awards, one with Rosanna on yeah. it, when he was about to record the Rosanna solo, because they're all in a pretty bad place, recreationally yes. using yeah. drugs here, there and everywhere, that a massive bit of coke fell out of his nose in the studio and he was scrabbling about trying to find it the stuff he'd back up in his nose before the red light came on and he had to record his solo. <laughs> <laughs> I love those. You've got to love those stories. That's, that's, just, you, that's what I've heard. Same as that track by uh, Uncle Jarek. Like a kind of 70s bluesy type instrumental and someone... He was about to get up and t- say, t- uh, start the solo, and someone told him that his uh, his dad had died. 
just as he was about to take his solo and then he played this solo and then at the end of it they said no that was we made that up but that's the take Stop it. Literally hitting his guitar. Yeah. I mean, Steve Lukather does that too. He's got a very wide vibrato and yeah, you know, all that kind of. Well, thanks very much. There's loads of great stuff there, and the YouTube videos as well. Stay tuned for more episodes, jams, improvisation ideas and well-informed thoughts about amps, pedals and guitar tone. If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a review on iTunes, find us on SoundCloud or see our website on tunein-toneup.com. Here you'll find show notes, tabs and further research and resources. It's also a good place to get in touch. We hope you're finding these lessons as interesting and as useful as I do and if you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Hey!